theyeshiva.net. Today's class is gracefully dedicated by our dear friends, Josh and Shandel, with thanks to Hashem for being so good to us in the merit of our children and in the merit of all singles to build beautiful Jewish homes, also dedicated by them for a complete and speedy re- speedy recovery to, to Ariella Rachel, Bas Shendel, as well as dedicated in the loving memory of all of the Jewish soldiers slain protecting their people and eternal homeland. And thank you very much, and may you and your loved ones among all of the Jewish people and all good people be blessed. So we open up today with an exceptional medrash. This is a medrash in Shir Hashirim, the first chapter. In the Song of Songs, in the opening chapter, verse 4, Shleim HaMelech speaks about, he says, the bride says, Mashcheni, draw me in. Acharecha Norutza. We want to run after you. Heviyani HaMelech Hadarov. The king has brought me to his chambers. Nagila v'nisma chabach. We will rejoice and celebrate with you and in you. On these words, the Medrash relates an extraordinary, startling story which is very much connected to the theme of the great holiday this week, Lagba Omer, the Yartzeit, the 33rd day of the counting of the Omer, the 18th day of Eir, which is going to be this week, the Yartzeit of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, the great Talmudic second century sage, one of the greatest sages, leaders in Jewish history, Rabbi Nabon Shimon, his father's name was Yechai. Also known as the author of the most foundational Kabbalistic text, the Zohar, the Book of Light, and traditionally passed away on Lag buried in Miron, in the Galil in Israel, and over the years, hundreds of thousands of Jews gathered there on the day of his yard site, dancing, celebrating, feasting, singing, with the famous uh, bonfires lit on uh, Lag Ba'imer. Let's see the Medrash. You see, Medrash Rabbah, Shir Hashirim Perek Aleph. I have it here in the original, which is a combination of Hebrew and Aramaic, but below I inserted also an English translation from Safaria. I didn't examine the translation. Sometimes translations can sometimes have an inaccuracy. I'm just telling you because I saw one inaccuracy. But here you have the English for those that it's easier for them, but I'm going to read it in the Hebrew and translate. Dover Acher, another explanation in the words Nagilov and Ismechabach, Taman Taninon. We have learned Nasa Adam Isha Vishaimo Esser Shanim If a person married a wife and they were ten years together and there were no children, he's still obligated to try to have a child. And that's why traditionally, and this wasn't always practiced, but traditionally the halacha allows, according to some obligates, that after ten years uh, they get divorced. Maybe the problem is, uh, maybe the challenge is with him, maybe the challenge is with her. So each of them can perhaps remarry and be blessed with a child. This wasn't always done, this wasn't always practiced. It's a whole long halachic discussion, when yeah, when not. Many great couples that have not had children, even after 10 years, remain married 
for the remainder of their lives, as many of you probably know. But this is one aspect of Jewish law, that at least he is permitted or she is permitted to get a divorce because they would like to build a family. Amr Rabidi Rabidi said, I want to tell you a story. This is a story about a particular woman who lived in the beautiful port city called Tzidon. It's on the coast of Lebanon. She was together with her husband for 10 years. They were married for 10 years and she did not give a birth. They came to one of the great sages of the day, Reb Shimon, the son of Yechai. As I said, he lived in the second century after the common era. This is approximately one century after the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. They want to let go of each other. They wanted to separate. They wanted divorce. There was no fam, no children. There could be a new marriage. They want to separate. He said to them, by your life, it's like an expression, I swear, I make a commitment, I, 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 I demand something by your life, something so important. Just as when you married each other, when you came together, you did it among a grand feast, there was abundant food and abundant beverages. In the same fashion, do not separate from each other, only amidst a grand festive feast with abundant food and abundant beverages. Interesting advice. Come to a rabbi, and this is one of the greatest rabbi of the generation. They want a divorce. Unfortunately, there are no children. Yeah. He wants to remarry. She could remarry. They want a divorce. So what does he say? No problem. You gotta throw a party, throw a party. <laughs> and he says, why? By your marriage, you threw a party. By your marriage, there was a feast. The divorce has to be like the marriage. So when you throw a feast by a divorce, it's not a happy day, it's a sad day. Even if a divorce is important, I mean, even if a divorce is a lifesaver, in this case, divorce was certainly tragic. They didn't want to get divorced. They couldn't have children, so they decided to get divorced. Throw a party, a big one. And it has to be just like the wedding. Let's see the story. Let's see the story, how the story continues. Holchu bidrachov. They followed his path. They followed his guidance. And they made for themselves a yomtif. A holiday, a great day. And they arranged a major feast. And it's interesting. He didn't say, make a major feast. He said, you got married with food and drinks? Get divorced that way. But the Medrash says, they really went out. They really went all out. They made a yomtif. Great holiday. The Rebbe said, Reb Shurim Ba'yichai said, and v'asu sudik doila. They arranged a huge feast. V'shikrasa yoyser, v'shikarto yoyser midai. You know what that means. She got him inebriated. She gave him drink 
after drink after drink until he was inebriated far more than he was accustomed to or used to do. Far more than enough. Meaning he was truly, truly in a tipsy, inebriated state, like Purim. When his mind settled somewhat in middle of the feast where he's drinking, Amar Allah, the husband, turns to the wife and he says, Biti, my daughter, like an expression of, of, of affection and love. Sometimes you'd say, you know, my daughter, my son, my beloved one. Apparently, as it will be clear, this was a couple of means. They were very affluent, very wealthy. So he says, look around and look at any good, precious object. Any good, precious object that I have in the home. And I want to gift it to you. Take it. And go, peace, go back to the home of your father. In other words, I don't just want you to leave the house. Take the most expensive, uh, there's a hundred million dollar painting. <laughs> Take it if you want. The two hundred thousand dollar piece of jewelry. Take whatever you want. The most expensive chayfets in the house. Take it. Take it to your home, to your, to your father's home, which she would stay. Ma'asasahi. What did she do? Remember how the story began? Rabbi said, It's a story about a woman. You should have said it's a story about a couple. He doesn't say story. He says it's a story about a woman. Because obviously, they're both heroes of the story, but she's the ultimate heroine of the story. As you'll see why. Why I'm saying this. What did she do? He fell asleep, you know, at some point. At night you fall asleep, especially when you had a couple of good drinks. She had servants, and she had maidservants. That's why I say it was a couple of means. She indicates, she hints to her servants and her maidservants, she, she motions to them to come over. They come over. She says, Carry him on the bed. Fetch him and take him and bring him to the home of my father. That's what they did. They followed, they followed, they, they, they obeyed her request, and they slept him on the cushions, on the bed, the couch, whatever he was on. They probably put him on the bed. It says, Sa'ul b'mita, or he was on a bed, and they carried him to her father's house. B'chatsi halayla, Somewhere around midnight or after midnight, Ninar Mishnose. Kivan de Pag He sobered up. The wine left him somewhat and he woke up. And what does he see? He sees that he's in an unfamiliar environment. He's in the Shriga's house. He's in the mother in law's house, in the father in law's house. Oh my law. He sees his wife. He says, Biti, my daughter. Hey, Chanani Nosum. Where am I? I don't recognize this place. You're in the home of my father. He says, I don't understand. What am I doing in your father's house? Especially we're supposed to get divorced. <laughs> I'm not anymore in your parents. What am I doing in your father's home? She says, 
You asked to be there. <laughs> You're the one who wanted to be here. So I took you here. What is it she talking about? She says, it's you. You wanted to be here. This is based on your, I should put it a little different, you want, it's based on your instructions. Did you not tell me last night? Find the most cherished item that I have in my home. You told me, your wife, and take it to the home of your father. I have nothing more precious in the world than you. So when you told me last night, I should take the most precious item in the home and bring it to my father's home, I looked around. There was nothing that triggered, nothing that piqued my interest, nothing that spoke to me. Besides you. Good stuff you have in the house, beautiful stuff. But nothing that is as close in terms of preciousness and value to me as you. You said I should take the most chayfetz toiv, the most cherished thing I have in your house, the most cherished thing I saw in your home was you. So I took you. This was your instruction. What do they do now? They went back to the same sage, Reb Shimon Ba'yechai. He stood up and he began to pray for them. And they gave birth to a child. A year later, whatever the timeline was, they built a family together. That's the end of the story. Says the Medrash, Lelamdach, this teaches you. Just as Hashem remembers those who are barren and in many situations blesses them despite the predictions of nature and He gives them a child. Sadikim, truly righteous, holy people who are aligned with God have that capacity as well. But there's something we have to learn from this as the Medrash. If you're talking about two human beings of flesh and blood, two mortal people, one tells the other, the woman tells the husband, the woman tells the man, the wife tells the husband, I have nothing more precious in the world than you. And as a result of that, they were, they were blessed with a child. That expression, that statement is what generated the blessing. Yisrael, the Jewish people who await the salvation of Hashem every day, and they say, and they say, we have nothing more precious in the world but you. We have nothing more precious than you. Al achas kama Certainly, they will be blessed. If this happens between two mortal couples and look at the results, certainly, this is the effect of such a relationship between the Jewish people and and the Rebbeinu Shalom and God. Hai nagila This says the Medrash. 
is the ultimate meaning or one of the deeper meanings in those words in the Song of Songs. Nagila, we will celebrate Venismach and we will rejoice. Bach, in you, in you, reflected in this couple what the woman told her husband. And the Medrash continues, Maybe this missing a word, Mashal, I'm not sure, I have to look in the source. But this is a metaphor of a matrain. Matrain is a queen, a princess, her, the king, her husband, and her daughters, and her sons-in-law, her children, and her sons-in-law, her sons, her daughters, her sons-in-law, her daughters-in-law, all left. They went overseas. I don't know, they went on a cruise overseas. She remained alone. Ubo, they come to her one day, and they tell her, Bo your, your sons have come back. Amra, she says, It's amazing for my daughters-in-law. It's amazing for my daughters-in-law that they're together with my sons. Kivan Shabal her sons-in-law come. Amrullah, they tell her, your sons-in-law came. Amra, okay. It's amazing for my daughters that they have my sons-in-law they have. Amrullah, then they told her, Boha Melech Bailach, your husband came. Amra, she said, Ah, Now I could celebrate. Now I could celebrate completely. Chadu, Alai, Chadu, Alai, celebrate with me, rejoice with me. She, of course, she appreciated her daughters, she appreciated her sons, she appreciated her sons-in-law and daughters-in-law, but Nagila Venis Mechabach, I want you. And the Medrash continues on this theme. If you want, you could learn the rest. On your own, you could see the commentary continues another few paragraphs, another few sentences. <laughs> My question today is, it's a fam- famous question that the commentators ask, what exactly was Reb Shimon ben Yechai trying to do? A couple came, they didn't have children for 10 years, they wanted to get divorced. Obviously a sad situation, that the bi- the biologically they were not blessed with children. And they wanted to move on with their lives and perhaps each one of them would try to begin anew with another spouse. Reb Shimon ben Yechai, something went through his mind. He says, Chayechem, I swear to you, or by your life, you have to make a party. And at this party, this whole story happens. They come back to him and then he starts praying for them. And after he prays for them, we say, we learn in the story, she conceived a child and gave birth to a child. One second. So why couldn't Rabshim ben Yechai just pray in the beginning? The first time they came to him and they said, we haven't had children in 10 years, Reb Shimon, who's this great tzaddik, could pray to God that he should bless them with a child. And apparently his prayers are very powerful, as we see what happened at the end. So do it in the first time. Why do we need to go through this whole interesting drama with a party, with a divorce, schlepping her to her house, her parents' home? <laughs> what was the point of this? Now, this is certainly a deep story. There's a lot here in this story. There is a mimer, there's a discourse from the Balhatanya on this story. The Balhatanya, also known as the Altareb, his name was Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi. And I like to give a little historical background of people. He was born in 1745 in Belarus, who was called White Russia, near the border of Lithuania, a little place called Liazhna. He grew up there. His father's name was Rebaruch. Later, as a young man, he went to the Magad of Mizrich, who was the successor of the Balshemtiv, and he became 
a very close and dedicated disciple to the Magad of Mizrich. And when the Magad of Mizrich passed away in 1772, Reb Shnei Zaman became a Talmud of one of his oldest students, the Magad of Reb Mendel of Itepsky, Reb Nachemendel of Itepsky, Reb Nachemendel of Haradok, authored a book, Pri Haaretz. And then a few years later, he founded what's known as Chsidis Chabad, the Chabad branch of Chsidis, in his hometown called Liyajna. That's why he was also known as the Liyajna Magid. He authored the Shulchan Aruch Harav, so he's known as the Rav, the Rav Shulchan Aruch, known as the Balatanya. Known as Chabad, he's known as the Alter Rebbe, the older Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe was a, one of the greatest giants, not just of his generations, but of many generations. In many ways, revolutionized, he was one of the revolutionaries of Jewish history, revolutionized the landscape of Jewish thought synthesizing the rational and mystical streams of Torah, Nigla and Pnimius, Nigla and into a unified, comprehensive program for life. He has a whole set of many works. They're called Mamori Admur Hazakin. The discourses, the Mamori, the teachings of the Alter Rebbe. There's the famous book, the Tanya, there's the Shulchan Aruch Harav, there are his responses in Halacha, Chuvas, there's Torah, there's also a set called Mamori Admur Hazakin. One of those books is called Mamari Admur Azakim Haktsarim, which means the short ones. The short Maimarim. The Alter Rebbe was known to present long Maimarim, explaining and elaborating the concepts that people should be able to understand them and internalize them and integrate them, which was the hallmark of his system. Chabad is Chachma Bina Das, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. But in the earlier years, he would communicate what's called brief maimarim. Maimarim, I'm sorry, brief, concise, very sharp. And there's a maimer in this book, page Tov Samach, and you have it here in your source sheets. If you go to the second page of your source sheets, you see page Tov Samach, which is 460. There's a short maimer, relatively short, one page from the Alter Rebbe, explaining the deeper meaning of this medrash. And explaining that it's not just a story about a couple that lived in Sidon, the port city at the coast of Lebanon in the 3rd century or the 2nd century after the Common Era, it's a timeless story about love. It's a timeless story about marriage, about relationships, and it's a timeless story about spiritual relationships and about our own connection with life and with ourselves and with God and with the world. Interesting, there are three versions of this mimer. My hunch would be that different people heard it, Three different people wrote it down, and therefore we had maybe more, but we have three manuscripts that has that have been passed along the generations from what the Alter Rebbe said. Now the three are very similar, and I put them all in the I put them all in the source sheets. You see, the first, the second page of the source sheets is version number one, and if you go to the the bottom of the page, it says Nusach Sheini, version number two. And if you go to the next page on the bottom of the page, it says Nusach Shlishi, version number three, which is, I think, the shortest. And number one, number two, I think number one is a little longer than number two, and number two is a little longer than number three, so it seems to me at first glance. Again, they're mostly similar, because obviously there's people who heard the same discourse, the same maimer. Whether he said it to couples, whether he said it privately to a few people, whether he said it in the basement, that I don't know. They didn't write that down, so I don't know that. But uh, there's three versions of it. I'm going to learn with you the first version. Those who want, you're welcome to learn the second version and the third version. 
and there are some nuanced differences between them, but I chose the first one. Okay, we're going to learn an insight. I can tell you that I understand this fully. The Medrash is one of those very potent, electri- uh, very potent and powerful, powerful Medrasha. The story obviously has layers and layers of depth, and you see in this Mimer that we're dealing with very profound spiritual and emotional ideas. But we could learn it together and see what we can come up with it. Come, we'll see what we could come up with and how it applies to our lives as well. Something that is conducive, could be helpful for children, for birth. If you didn't open the source sheet, you probably want to follow inside. It'll be nice to do that. So you can go to the, the, the yeshiva.net, the yeshiva.net, T-H-E-Y-E-S-H-I-V-A dot net, the yeshiva.net. And you'll see this video should be on the top. If you're watching it later, you can go to recent videos or you can go to Lagba Omer. It's going to be there. And you'll open it up and you'll see on the top of the video and below the video, you could find the source sheets. On top it says view source sheets. So you can open it up on your screen, make it larger. And below the video, there's downloads. So you could download later the MP3, MP4, and you can also download the source sheets if you want it on your computer. Okay, so this is the source sheets for this shear. You got to go to page two of the source sheets because the first one was the Medrash, and now we go to the explanation. Says the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya. Is everything clear in the meantime? The Zoom, the Zoom, uh, the Zoom. Anybody wants to ask anything? Okay, we'll take questions later. I see some questions. Fine, we'll do the questions later. Zgula lebanim shiyah this mimer fluctuates between the factual story, the physical story, and the spiritual story. Every story in Tyre and Medrash is also a, me- also a metaphor, it's also an allegory for an inner story that happens in people's lives. This is true about every story. There's children, there's biological children, but there's also spiritual children. The famous Gemara says, Every tzaddik, every good person gives birth to deeds. We have an impact on people. We have an impact on ourselves. We have an impact on the world around us. Those are the children we create. Those are the spiritual children every person creates. There are those who weren't blessed with biological children. Some of the greatest of the great who were not given that tremendous blessing. You know, God's ways are mysterious. But their impact, their spiritual impact on so many other people and so many other children resonates throughout the generations. So there's physical, biological children. And of course, that's, you know, the great, greatest blessing. But there's also in Avaidah Hashem. He says, when you're giving birth to a son or a daughter, is Yiriv Ava. The experience of awe and love, these are called children. It says in Tanya, in chapter 3, based on Sefi Yitzira, that the mind is defined as the parents, Tati and Mami. And emotions are called children. 
And the reason for this is because, and this is very important, although it's not the theme of today's class, but it's important, and we've said, I've shared this a few times, and it's really important in life. Every emotion is produced by awareness. There is no emotion that is not born, that doesn't emerge from a certain level of awareness. We don't always tune into that because we're instinctive and impulsive, but that's the truth. So if I'm getting angry at somebody, whatever the emotion is, I'm like, he said this, or she said this, or they did this, and I'm so upset, and I'm frustrated, and I'm annoyed. Whatever the experience I'm feeling, whatever the sensation I'm feeling. But to really be more accurate and more honest, it's not what you said that triggered that emotion. It's the way I processed what you said in my mind that triggered that emotion. In other words, I am accountable for my life. You're not accountable for my life. It's a much deeper way of living. It's, it's, it's reclaiming your soul. It's reclaiming your responses. Now, this doesn't mean it's easy. I have to work on myself. But the first step is awareness. Every emotion has a father and a mother. Just like a child has a father who contributes the seed, the sperm, and a mother who gives the egg and it's then pollinated and that combination creates what's called the embryo, which God willing develops into a viable fetus and then there's birth of a daughter or a son, of a male or a female. Spiritually speaking, he says, this is Yiriva Ava. The experience of either awe, reverence, or love. This is, he says, the son and the daughter. There's somebody who's trying to serve God, trying to connect to God, but there's no, no children. What does it mean, no children? There's no feeling. There's no experience. Let's call it experiential Judaism. Any of you are familiar with cerebral Judaism that's not experiential? Huh? Anybody grew up memorizing texts? Memorize more texts, more texts, more texts, more facts, more data, more facts. But where's the experience? Does anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Or you all had experiential Judaism growing up? <laughs> Don't all answer at once. So, I could learn and learn and learn. And I'm do, I'm trying, I'm a good person. You're a good person. You're trying to do the right thing. But there's no experience. There's no intimacy. There's no emotion. There's no intimacy with God, I'm saying. You have a potential. Potentially, so we need an etz. We need help. How do I translate ideas into experience? A good takasha? How do I translate ideas into experience? That's the focus of this Maimer. So he goes off to the story of Reb Shimon Bayechai. Now you all know the story, so I'm going to go through the story fast. I don't want to skip, so I'm going to go through the story fast. But let's see how he puts the story. He puts it very briefly. It says in Medrash, we all know where this Medrash is, Shir Hashirim Rabba Perik Aleph. There was a man who came to Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai because he didn't have children. Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai says, Bazalosh, and he tells him these words. Just as your marriage happened with joy, the same is true right now that the opposite of the marriage, the divorce, should also happen with joy. And with a feast. Now it's interesting, the Rebbe puts in the words, He told him these words. 
And that's, this is where, you know, there's always something called the key words in a mimer, where you know, ah. In other words, he's seeing in these words the, the, the secret of the story. Just as your marriage happened in a certain way, your divorce has to happen in a certain way. Now, what is that telling you? What is that telling us? The way I understand it is, what Dr. Rebbe is pointing out here, and we'll soon see how that works, is that in many ways, your divorce is going to become a marriage. Your divorce, your separation, is going to become a second marriage. And that second marriage is going to change everything in your life. Your problem is, you were married once, you were not married twice. Your divorce is going to be your marriage, your second marriage. So of course your divorce has to be like your wedding. It's going to be a new wedding. Now, what does this mean? What in the world does this mean? It seems bizarre, to put it mildly. It seems strange, weird, if you will. So let's see. This is what the guy did. During the joy, Amalai tells his wife, Take an item that is most precious to you and go to your home in peace. By the way, he says, go to your own home. I guess she had her own home. Maybe her father built her a home. Maybe she had her own home. I told you, this was a rich couple. He says, go to your home in peace. Take whatever you want. Whatever you want, take. In other words, I like you. <laughs> I like you. I want you to have a good life. Ma'asa, so what did she do? She brought wine. And she got him very drunk. Until he fell asleep on his bed. She brought him to her home. She slept him to her home. See here, the, the way he tells the story here, after he says to her, take whatever you want, she, she gives him a lot to drink, I guess even more than before. He falls asleep. This is what she wanted. She now takes him home. Now, I want you to think for this about the story for a moment. Why this funny shtick? She could have just come over to him during the party and say, come to my house. They say, he wouldn't listen, we're getting divorced, right? So she gets him drunk, so he falls asleep, and now she schleps him to the house. So he wakes up, he's not in this house. Why'd you do this to me? She says, You told me to do what you said. I should take, I should retrieve the most precious item. And I have in the world nothing more precious than you. You are the item that is most precious to me more than everything in the world. Nothing, no close seconds. She doesn't only say everything in the house. Everything in the world. There's nothing in the world more precious. What was the result? As a result, as a consequence, as the Madrid says, they came back to Rabbi Shem and he prayed for them, they had children. Says the Rebbe, This story is not just a factual event that happened with a couple many, many years ago, close to 2,000 years ago, two millennia ago. True. But it's also a nimshal because if it's recorded in the Madrid, the Madrid does, Torah doesn't just record stories. For the sake of history. 
We often said, the Zohar says, the Maral explains this, the Radaka, the word Torah indicates what type of genre it is. The word Torah means what? Teachings, lessons. Torah milashon hayra, like a moreh, a teacher. The point of Torah is not just facts and data. The point of Torah is a blueprint for life, a roadmap to navigate the winding pathways of a person's journey through our turbulent planet. So the, the Balatani, the Alter Rebbe says, the story in the Medjah, not just a beautiful story about a miracle Rabbi Shem Ben Yechai performed, or whatever you want to call it, his powerful prayers, or an interesting dramatic event. It's much more than that. It's also a marshal, it's a metaphor for life. In other words, it's a lesson. What's the nimshal? What's the point we're trying to bring up? Gamkein Bavoydes Hashem, this is true in our service of God. And he begins... She Yisrael, the Jewish people, through their behaviors, their daily behaviors, all the tzedakah that we do. Tzedakah means charity, but of course tzedakah means all the kindness, all the love, all the benevolence that you share, that you give to the people around you, to the, your children, to your spouse, to your loved ones, to your community, and beyond, like a, trickle, a ripple effect, all the goodness that people, a Jew, a person generates in the world. Bahamitzvahs. Not just the one mitzvah of tzedakah, which the Gemara says is equivalent to all the mitzvahs, but every mitzvah, every positive, godly deed that a Jew does. B'simcha. And you do it with simcha, you do it with joy. You do it with passion, with gusto, with umf, with ecstasy, with a sense of inner joy and fulfillment. This triggers within Hashem a gewaldika, an awesome sense of joy and simcha. So the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe continues, Vizehu. So after we explained that the Jew and the human being who brings goodness and light to the world, brings joy to the world, brings tzedakah and chesed and love and mitzvahs to the world, and doesn't just bring it to the world robotically, with uh, lifelessness and a sense of duty and coercion, but they do it with, with, with simcha, with passion, with joy. This triggers the deepest joy. It brings awesome, awesome joy to the Rebbeinu Shalom. Tremendous simcha tashem, tremendous joy tashem. There's a real connection, a real relationship, and a real impact. Vizel, and this is the deeper meaning of another verse in Shehashirim at the end. We began with chapter one, Agilah v'Nisma Chabach, but now he takes us to the last, to the to not Mamish to then, but the eighth chapter of Shi'ashirim, where where Shloima Melech says the opening of chapter or the opening of chapter eight is Miyitencha Kaochli Yoinek Mishdei Yoinek Shdei Imi Emtsaacha Bechutz Eshakacha Gam Loyavuzili. I wish you could be like a brother to me, nursed from the breast of our mother. Even if I find you on the outside and I kiss you, nobody will make fun of me because we're siblings, we're sisters and brothers. And then he says, I'll bring you to the home of my mother. I will give you to drink from the most fragrant wine, from the sweetest Juices of my pomegranates. So Jesus, I want to be able to kiss you on the outside, 
I want to be able to bring you to the home of my mother because we're like brothers and sisters. And that's where I'm going to give, I'm going to irrigate you from this most amazing wine and from the most amazing sweet juices within the pomegranates. Remind me. You see why he's bringing this verse. This is the story that happens at the feast. The Gemara says, in Erevin, Yotes, at the end of Chagige, every Jew is filled with mitzvahs, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. The Gemara says, Even those who are considered sinners and transgressors, they're also filled with mitzvahs, like a pomegranate filled with seeds. And the inside is always super good, super delicious, super sweet. This is what's called osis. Osis is the liquid that's inside, that's sweet, that's delicious. You have the remind the pomegranate itself. When you go deep inside, you'll find in every single Jew that the juices inside are so geschmack, are so delicious and so tasteful. And so tasty and so delightful. And through this, we bring our husband. We take our husband with us into our home. We bring Hashem down here into this world. Just as in the story, the wife gives her husband a lot to drink. And as a result of that, she can fetch him and retrieve him and take him with her back to her home. And that, of course, secures the relationship. So the Alter Rebbe says this is a nimshal for what happens with the cosmic husband and the cosmic wife, God and the Jewish people. Sometimes it looks like there's a separation. But he says, but the Jewish people create a tremendous simcha in the husband, just like with her. She revealed the bond that exists. She revealed how deep the connection is. She brought to life how powerful the relationship is. Yes, she needed to give him to drink. He told her, take what you want, whatever you want in the house. She takes him into the house, to her house, and brings out in him the bond that he has towards her, just like she has to him. So the Alter Rebbe says the same as in Avaidus Hashem. It's the woman who brings out that, that simchet in God, the Jewish people, who creates such a joy that Hashem has in this relationship. He's like, where am I running? <laughs> so the Alter Rebbe says, a Jew does a mitzvah with simchet. It's ma'ira simchet in Hashem. And this is the wine I give him. It's the pomegranate juice that I give him. Because every Jew is filled with this juice, with this delicious beauty, Malay Mitzvah Skirimim. And even a Jew on the outside looks like is a little dry, is a little stale, is a little moldy, is a little decomposed, a little rotten, you know, an old pomegranate. He says, if you dig deeper, you're going to find some good juice. Asis Rimoinai. This is what I'm going to give you in the house of my mother. El Beisimi, just like she does this in their house. And what happens as a result of these drinks? 
she takes him with her wherever she goes. They're not separated. Through this, the Jew takes Hashem. We bring him down into our home. Because we say this is the most precious thing for me in the world. But I'm right. The Jew says, just like that woman said, David HaMelech says in Tehillim in Psalms, chapter 73, Who do I have in heaven? And with you, I desire nothing on earth. Says the Alter Rebbe, literally you translate, Who do I have in heaven? I have you. And once I have you, I don't need anything else on earth. Because it means something even deeper. God created for Yisrael the higher Ganeidin, the higher paradise, which is called heaven. He also created a lower level of Garden of Eden, of paradise, which is called earth. These are amazing places. Heaven and earth. The higher Ganeidin, the lower Ganeidin. Nonetheless, the Jew says, I don't want all of this. I don't want anything outside of you. I'm not serving you because I want this world. And I don't, I'm not even searching for Elam Haba. It's interesting, it's a machzadik, the grandson of the Balatanya writes that he would so often hear his grandfather in the middle of davening in his dvekas, in his trance, and in his intimate connection with God. He would hear him say these words of this mimer. I don't need heaven and I don't want earth. Mili Bashamayim doesn't mean who do I have in heaven? I have you. And with you I desire nothing on earth. It's like even earth and heaven don't speak to me. Heaven? I understand earth, you're a spiritual saint. Heaven? He says, yeah. I don't want Ganeidin. I don't want Elam Haza. I don't want Elam Haba. He would hear his grandfather say, Ich will nicht dein Ganeidin atachten. Ich will nicht dein Ganeidin alien. I don't want your lower level of paradise. I don't want your higher level of Ganeidin. Ich will nicht dein Elam Haza. Ich will nicht dein Elam Haba. I don't want this world. I don't want the next world. Ich will manage das dich allein. I want only you. In other words, there's nothing more precious that exists in my life than you. Not even the rewards for serving you. Not even the spiritual or physical benefits that I have, which are all amazing stuff. But as the woman tells the husband, there's amazing stuff here on the walls. There's amazing furniture, there's amazing jewelry, amazing items in the house. But only in the whole entire cosmos, in my imagination, there's nothing more precious than you. You're the most precious item. So this is what the Jew tells God. Mili Bashamayim. I know there's amazing, precious stuff in this world and in the next world. Things that are enjoyable, things that generate ecstasy, things that generate delight, and not just vain pleasures. We're talking about transcendental, spiritual pleasures. Part of the richness of the king, part of the royal aristocracy and expression of the king. But the woman tells her husband, I want you. I don't want the benefits that come with you, from you. I don't want all the things that are associated with you. 
I don't want all the things that accompany you. I don't want all the dividends that I get from a relationship with you and all the benefits, whatever they may be, and as amazing that they may be, but nonetheless, they pale in comparison to having you. Ich will mehr nicht als dich allein, as the Alter Rebbe used to say during Davine. That's what this woman tells her husband. And the truth is, this awareness is an awesome gift that we have from God. Like we say in davening on Yom Hashem Eloikeinu. So most people translate, Vatiten Lanu Hashem Eloikeinu. God, our God, you have given us Mayadim Lasimcha holidays to celebrate Chagim Uzmanim Lasasayim, different times of joy. Esyaim Chagamatzasazah, Esyaim Chagasukasazah. The Alter Rebbe says, No, you're missing the point. Vatiten Lanu Hashem Eloikeinu. Not God has given us. No, you have given us Hashem Aleikeinu. Vatiten lanu. What have you given us? The first thing you have given us is Hashem Aleikeinu. You have given us the ability to have a relationship with you. That's what you. That's the greatest gift, more than any other gift. You have given me you, and you allowed me to be aware of that power, of that depth, of that intensity. You allowed me to touch you. You allowed me to have you. You allowed me to be with you. That's deeper than anything that comes with you. Yes, a lot of other great stuff. But that's the key. We say every morning in davening, Shemayin Esra, three times a day, Ki ba'er panecha nasata lanu, Hashem aleikeinu, Teres chayim v'yavaz chesed. With the light of your face, you, God, have given us Torah and love and kindness and stuck and blessing. But the Al-Tarebbe says, The first thing you have given us is God. You have given us you. That comes with a lot of other things. But You have given me you. That relationship. That's irreplaceable. You have given us the gift that Hashem should be mine. That Hashem, Yudke Vavke, He was, He is, He will be, the eternal, absolute, infinite, all-encompassing, all-pervasive, should be Eleikeinu, should be our God, should be my God. Eleikim in, in Hebrew means my strength, my consciousness, my core. Hashem should be Eleikeinu, should be mine. You should be mine. So the woman tells the husband, that's the greatest item I have in the world, is you, I can have you. And as a result, she has him. Because he feels the unbelievable joy of having her. And that exclusivity, that oneness, trumps everything else in the world. It's not through having me, you have something else. Yeah, you have a lot of things through having me. And through having you, I have things. And they're great things. They're unbelievable things. There's the assets and the real estate. And we're talking about God. It comes with everything. It comes with wisdom and it comes with integrity and it comes with spiritual and physical rewards and it comes with the cosmos. It's amazing. <laughs> it comes with all the art and brilliance and artistry and history and everything that we have in our world and beyond in this physical and the spiritual world. But nothing comes close to the key and that's you. And it's not, so as a result of this, I get other stuff. 
okay, I may be in that place, but Alter Rebbe says the Jew is capable, and in his or her core, that's the relationship we, we long for. That's the relationship we're capable of. That's who we are. And with you I desire nothing on earth. You have to know what these words mean. I think part of what he means maybe is what else is there to desire? What 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 do you want me to desire? What could be greater and deeper than just having you? without any incentive. Now let's go back to the marriage. What was missing in that marriage? What was missing in that marriage? In that marriage, there was an objective outside of the marriage. I want you. Of course, I respect you, I like you, I love you. It's because what I get from you and not a small thing, children. We want to build a family. We want to have children. Now that's amazing, that's incredible. But the focus in the marriage was the benefits that come from the marriage, the results that come from the relationship. Reb Shimon ben Yechai wanted them to experience a relationship where the relationship itself is the greatest gift where the woman can tell her husband, there's nothing more precious in the world for me than you. Nothing. In other words, the love is absolute. The love is unconditional. The love has absolutely no incentives of what it's going to bring. And this could only happen when they were getting divorced. Because... Sometimes you need to separate to be able to renew your vows and choose your relationship. Because as long as I'm not separated from you, we're just in a we're just in a connection that we don't know of anything else outside of it. You know, like in the olden olden days when divorce was not rampant. So there was there was a tremendous advantage. You know, because a lot of people, they learned to work it out and they had fine lives and families stayed together. But very often what also can happen is you're just in it. You don't examine it. You don't visit it. And in many ways, it could be amazingly bless, amazingly blissful. But in other ways, it's just, you know, people who grew up in a certain environment, they don't know of anything else. Because there's no other possibilities. So when there's no other possibilities, I'm not embracing my reality with passion. I'm in it. I'm stuck in it. There's good days. There's difficult days. Sometimes there's miserable days. Sometimes maybe hopefully there's wonderful days. But the bottom line is we're just in this circle, in this pattern, in this orbit. When somebody gives you the choice, you have to give yourself the choice. And say, you know what? I can leave. And this is what they decided together. We're leaving each other. We're separating from each other. In other words, there's going to be you without me and there's going to be me without you. Before that, when they were married, there was no me without you, and there was no you without me. But it's just because it was that way. It was not a choice. It was that way. There was me with, I'm with you, you're with me. We we came together as young people, however they got married then, and we're trying to have a family like everybody else, and it's not working. Okay. 
but now they separated. Okay, so there's now a me without you and there's a you without me. They confronted that deepest fear of separating from each other. And you know what happens at that moment? What happens at that moment is they choose each other. They get married a second time. But this time the marriage marriage is a much deeper marriage. This time she says, I want you. And he says, I want you. She says, I have no life without you. I have a life without you. I could be me. But there's nothing more precious in the world that I want rather than you. Ah, that's a marriage. Now all the blockages open up. He says, of course I can go my own way. That's what they decided. They're going to go their own way. But there's nothing in the world that I would want. There's a lot of great stuff in the world. But there's nothing in the world that I would want more than you. This marriage now morphed into a whole new level, into a whole new paradigm. From a marriage that was conditional, from a marriage that was therefore more superficial, even if powerful, it went to a marriage that was essence to essence. I'm not looking for heaven. I'm not looking for earth. I'm looking for you. Let's now go back to God. Our marriage to Hashem. I could be married to Hashem. All the benefits. You're the creator. This world, next world, heaven, earth. Al-Tarebbe says, no. There's nothing more desirable than you. I just want you. And where do I have you? I have you right with me. What does this mean in life? It means in life, I'm not serving God to get something. I'm not serving God to reach a certain goal. I'm not serving God so that my house or my kids or my wife or my husband or my son or my daughter or this should look this and this way. No. Hineni, I'm here. I'm here with you. We're in a marriage. We're in a relationship. My greatest privilege and joy in life is I have you and I have you every single moment. And therefore, whatever the calling of the moment is, this is what I do. Ask not what God can do for you. Ask what you can do for God. Ask not what your children can do for you, what your spouse can do for you, what the world can do for you, what your community can do. Ask what you can do for them. Which means that basically I reach a space where I'm not a victim of my circumstances because I'm looking for this to happen and it didn't happen yet. No, it's not that way. I'm not here in order to produce results. The very relationship itself is the most valuable thing in the world to me. I can be here for you just like you can be here for me. And what this means in a person's life is that so often I'm frustrated and I'm annoyed because there's a way that I imagine my life is supposed to look like, my reality is supposed to look like, and it's not happening And therefore I get depressed and I feel like a victim and I feel like a loser and I feel like annoyed. What if I can change my paradigm and say, whatever is right now is exactly what has to be. Whatever I'm facing right now is exactly my mission that God has given me in this world. And this is perfect. And if I have to work through stuff, this is exactly what I have to work through. The relationship's value is the very avoid itself, the very experience itself, living every moment to its fullest and seeing the infinite and absolute love and energy and opportunity that exists right now with this person in this moment, in this circumstances, in this encounter and in this experience. 
to embrace it fully for what it is. Because I'm not thinking, but what am I gaining out of it? But what's the result? But what's going to happen? But I wanted it to be this way. But why is my kid like this? But why is my spouse like this? But why am I like this? Why is my house like this? Why did I grow up like this? Why did this happen? Good questions. So now I can choose. I can either be in a relationship hoping and waiting for the good things to happen, for me to get my milkshake or my vanilla ice cream or whatever my taiva is, and then I'm going to become happy. Or I could say, no, I have you, I have Hashem. We're one, we're together in this. And this is where we're, we're hanging out. And we're going we're gonna to turn this into the best thing in the world. But they don't have children, this couple. This is very heavy, I have to tell you, this is heavy stuff. <laughs> this is very heavy stuff. I'm not even sure I understand it fully. You probably can't get this fully with your brain. That's why the woman had to initiate this, because men like to get, we often get stuck. Well, I guess we all get stuck, men and women, but sometimes you need one partner to really help the other one to get out of their brain and out of their stuckness, you know? Maybe sometimes it's the husband, but very often it's the wife. It's like the concept of emuna that's higher than seichel. You can't get stuck in your brain of how things have to look like and they're supposed to look like, which is basically all conditional. The relationship is conditional. I like you as long, I like you, God, as long as you do this. But can you really, really connect just to the relationship itself and say we're together every single moment And this moment is all there is in terms of the infinite value that exists right now in this moment. And this is the mission, and this is the opportunity, and celebrate it and dance. And for this, this couple has to go through the separation in order to reconnect in a new way, because if not, their connection was not a choice because they didn't know of another possibility. Whenever you don't have another possibility, you're just in it. It's not your own. You don't reclaim it. This marriage was forced on you. Okay, so you'll make the best out of it. So they had to say, you know, nothing was forced on us. Really, nothing was forced on us. If we want, we can go our separate ways. Now, this is not about an arranged marriage or not an arranged marriage. Even not an arranged marriage is often forced on you. Because when you were 20, when you were 25, you were 30, you made choices that seemed right. And now, years later, you're like, okay, this is part of, you know, let's just move on and move on. We're good people. We'll work it out. But ultimately, there's no fire. And you have to really be able to make a choice. Can we choose to get married? Is there a possibility to leave each other? They say yes. And at that moment, when they are supposed to have a divorce, they remarry. And that's why Rabbi Shemba says, I want it to be like a wedding. This is going to be your wedding. They didn't realize it, but this is going to be your wedding. And at that moment, they discovered the inner feelings they had for each other, which transcended all incentives, all conditions, all stipulations. There's no precious item in the world that I would rather have but you. And when that happens, everything changes. So let's see now the last piece. When a person serves God in this way, he doesn't want anything Besides the MS, besides the truth. Nothing else. I just want you. Then everything can be transformed. Even things that remained and had to remain in the concealed world, they couldn't come down. 
They were confined in a world, in a realm of concealment, but transformation could now happen. That which had to be concealed could be revealed. All the blockages could be removed. Because when the person enters into that relationship, I am not defined anymore by any natural structures and patterns. Just like in a marriage, it's that moment where miracles happen, where there's a magic because my eye transcended my eye and your eye transcended your eye. And we touched each other. In that space that transcends my orbit and your orbit, we open ourselves up to a completely different energy. And that's when things that weren't supposed to happen can happen. Because the reason some things can't happen is because everything has its place. Everything has its orbit. Everything has its structure. This is what we call possible and not possible, practical and impractical. From our perspective, this is practical, this is not practical. This is feasible, this is not feasible. According to the structure of this marriage, this is what has to happen. But the Rebbe says, when a Jew reaches this space, I want nothing else but you. That's my only desire, that's where my consciousness is. So now my consciousness is in a space of infinity. And now I'm emancipated from all the traumas in the world. I'm emancipated from all the things that hold me down, that tell me stories about who I am and who I'm not. Because I reached a space where I say, I want nothing but you. There's a lot of great things, but nothing is is is, is more precious to me. Nothing matters to me as much as you. And when I can go into that space, he says, everything can be transformed. So those children that couldn't come out in the real world could come out. And he says, we're not only talking about biological, we're talking about spiritual children. That in a person's avoided, the experience, the love, the awe can be born. There was a blockage in this person. You couldn't experience it. You couldn't experience love. You couldn't experience awe. You were blocked. The children were somewhere in a potential state. But when a person goes into this space, there's nothing more precious in the world than you. So now everything can open up, and even that which was concealed could come out. And the physical evolves from the spiritual, so physically as well, biologically, biologically, this couple can have children. When a person can reach this space of consciousness, I desire nothing in the world. Not when it comes to my soul and not when it comes to my body. We're not only talking about physical things, we're talking about spiritual things in a way that's harder. Because if I'm a spiritual person, I'm a sensitive person, I'm looking for spiritual accomplishment. I'm looking for spiritual fulfillment. I'm looking for spiritual benefits. What Rav Shimon Bar-Yechai brought out in this couple is, Ich will manage das dichalein. The ultimate purpose of you is you. <laughs> that's the ultimate purpose. And that's the deepest. Because it's one with the source of everything. So you say, but what do you gain from it? The moment I'm in that place, I'm not with you. I'm in a different place. I'm in a much lower restricted place. And when I go into that place, the source of everything, then there's no blockages. Then there's nothing that stops anything. Then you're in the source of everything that transcends all structures. Because I went out of my structure. This is what such a marriage looks like. 
It's a marriage of, of oneness. You want to know how to reach that marriage, right? And this is what the couple reached. The couple, the couple went into this place. If Rabbi Shem would have prayed in the beginning, it couldn't have helped because prayer is like rain, but the, 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 the seeds were not planted or the earth was not plowed. It wasn't toiled. So he could pray and pray. So the rain comes down, but there's nothing to grow. They first had to go through an inner transformation inside of themselves. And that transformation had to happen through this feast during the divorce when they got remarried, but a whole different type of marriage where there's absolutely no, no ulterior motives and no incentives and we're not looking for goals and objectives. Till that point, the objective and the purpose and the benefit of the marriage is that there's going to be children. I want you because of your child and I want you because of your child because a husband and a wife together can create children, Be'ez Rasha. Rabbi Shem needed them to reach a space where it was just you. Nagila v'nismecha, bach. Not, God forbid, that children is not the greatest blessing. On the contrary, through this they can have children. Now there are couples who were not blessed with biological children, even though the love is so powerful and so tremendous. As I said in the beginning, we all know about such couples. They were not blessed biologically with children. They were blessed with spiritual children, how much love and awe did they bring into the world? Do they bring into the world? So you say, yeah, but why is it this way? According to this mimer, I don't, I don't, I'm not the person to give answers to these types of questions. You know, what happens for what person and when and why these mysteries are from the world of infinity that are completely beyond my brain and certainly above my pay grade. What Dr. Rebbe is saying here is, that when a person can reach into this space, the regular blockages are not there anymore. So now let's take it from the space of having a child to raising a child or whatever else you're involved in in your life. There's various obstacles you're having. So he says, instead of focusing what this person can do for you, instead of focusing on how life is supposed to look like and how bad it is and it's not working out, can I go into that space where I say, everything is perfect because I have you. And you know what happens then? Everybody else responds to that. Everything else opens up. Life is perfect because I have you. Life is perfect because I have my wife. Life is perfect because I have my husband. Life is perfect because I have my God. It's perfect. It can't be better. The Baal was once visited by a couple who didn't have children, and they asked him to bless them, and he refused. And they came many times, and he, he always refused which was astounding. And finally, once they really begged and pleaded and wept, and the Baal blessed them to have a child. And she conceived. And then the Baal heard a heavenly message, a heavenly voice that told him that he lost his chelik in Elam Haba. He lost his portion in the world to come because he defied the will of God. The will of God was that for whatever reason, this couple should not be blessed with biological children. And he defied the will of God. When the Baal heard this, it says, He started to celebrate and rejoice and dance. And somebody in the family who was there, his daughter thought that something happened, God forbid. He, he heard that he lost his, his portion in paradise and, and perhaps he was so overwhelmed from sadness. And this was his reaction. So she asked him about this. And the Baal said, No. Until this point, I was never sure if I'm serving God or I'm serving myself. 
maybe the whole Yiddishkeit is just to get Elam Haba, you know? I appreciate Elam Haba, and that's what I'm doing it for. And I was always doubting myself, am I in a real relationship, not in a real relationship? Now he says, Baruch Hashem, I could start serving God, I don't have any distractions. <laughs> that's this mimer. I don't have any of this, I don't have to think, I'm getting Elam Haba, I'm not getting Elam Haba, I'm doing it for Elam Haba, I'm not doing it for Elam Haba, I don't have Elam Haba, we're good. Now we're good, yeah? In other words, God separated himself from me. He said, there's no Elam Haba, you're not getting Elam Haba. Okay, fine, now there's no distractions, now I can decide if I want you or I don't want you. And I decided I want God, I want you, now I can have a relationship with you. No distractions, no incentives, there's no prizes, uh, there's no afikoyman rewards, there's no afterlife rewards, there's no rewards. I can just be married to you, I can have a relationship with you. Now I can be one with you. You gave me yourself. Now I can have you. Because Eilam Haba can be also egotistical, in a good way egotistical. Self-centered, in a good way self-centered. I want spiritual fulfillment. Where's a better place than Eilam Haba? It's the place where the Shechina dwells. The Gemara says in Brachas Yudzayin, Nenem Eziv HaShechina, the Tzadikim enjoy the radiance of the Shechina. The Gemara said, I don't want the radiance of the Shechina, I want you. I don't want the radiance of my spouse. I want you, of my wife or my husband. I want you. The you, the you is above all. Once that happens, everything opens up. You're not stuck anymore. When you go into that relationship, you're emancipated. Why? Because I reach a space where I say, everything in the world is amazing, but nothing comes close to you. Everything in body and everything in soul, it's all great stuff. But there's nothing like you. And everything becomes one. And he says, This will be enough for the person who understands. This will be enough for the person who understands. This is so applicable to all of us. What does a relationship with God look like? What does a good life look like? And the answer the Alter Rebbe tells us is, there's no answer. Whatever it looks like, that's what it's supposed to look like. What's a relationship with God? What does it have to look like? What does it have to produce? It looks like whatever it looks like. Your life doesn't have to look a certain way. It Right now, you have everything. Just connect. Just get married again. For real. Now, we have so many trauma. I can't say we. I could speak for myself. But some of us, we have so many stuff inside, we can't even go there. At best, at worst, I'm in survival mode, trying to survive. At best, I'm a little bit more enlightened, you know, trying to expand. But here it's really letting go and just allowing yourself to be in reality at this moment, in the core infinity of reality. It's very, very deep avoida. This is not easy stuff. It's the easiest thing, but it's also the hardest thing. <laughs> but it's letting go of everything and then just being. Just being. And then nothing has to look like anything. Whatever it looks like, this is the opportunity right now to be a married couple and to enjoy life together. You're on a journey with God. And if this is where he put you, this is where the marriage is happening right now. And he's right with you in his house, in the bed. You gave him the best wine in the world. You're giving him the most delicious pomegranates in the world. And he's overjoyed and there's no joy like being with you. 
There's no joy for the husband like being with this woman. And there's no joy for this woman like being with this man. God says there's nothing better. That's the idea of Diri B'Tachtayinim. The Medrash says that the reason Hashem created the world was Medrash Tanchuma Parshas Nasa and also Medrash Shir Hashirim and Perik Hay. He created the world because he wanted a Diri B'Tachtayinim. He wanted a home in in this reality, in our world, in our hearts. God says there's nothing better than hanging out with her in her mother's house. <laughs> <laughs> well, am I going to go to heaven? What am I going to have in heaven? There's nothing better than having a marriage with this woman. This woman who tells her husband, there's nothing better in the world than you. The husband says, and I don't think there's anything better in the world than you. That's what happens. So God says, this is where I'm going to be. This this is the be- the best place to be. I want to be with you in your heart, in your home, in your bedroom, in your world. And then there's an abundance of blessings. There's an abundant blessing because you're beyond any structure. You're mute yourself, please. You're beyond any structure. You're beyond the natural constructs of reality. You reach the place of uh, quantum mechanics. So paradoxes can come together. The clock can move clockwise and counterclockwise simultaneously. You can be a particle and you can be a wave. That which has to be concealed could be revealed. Because concealment and revelation both come together in a consciousness which opens itself up to the infinity of life without bowing down to the necessity of being stuck in what things have to look like. At least this is one aspect of this Mimer. I'm sure there's much more to talk about and much more to explore. I'm just sharing with you my flow this morning of how I understood at least some parts of this Mimer. I'm sure there's much more to it because you could just see from the words how 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 deep and how powerful it is. How powerful it is. In the next version, he speaks about when you drink wine, all the secrets come out. So when she gives him the wine, his secrets come out. The deepest love comes out in him and in her. And what does that look like? If you see the second version, the last line, Shalayachpitzbishumdavar. He doesn't want anything besides her. And then everything opens up. When I desire nothing but you, then I'll experience all the awe that I need and all the love that I need. Yeah. In the third version, the Alter Rebbe writes, that's your next page in the source, in the third version, he says that she told him, you told me I should take the most precious thing in my eyes. I do not desire gold, I do not desire silver, I do not desire gems, I do not desire pearls, I desire only you. You alone and only you is the most powerful, precious, and good item in my eyes. And when he heard these words, this is the third version, he's like, we're not going anywhere, we're coming back together. And in this chus, they have children and, and they, they have a beautiful, and they build a beautiful home. He, he, she gets built up and he gets built, meaning it becomes a family. And this is also true in the Nimshon. Oh wow, it's so late. Okay. So let me take some questions. We started the class by saying that thoughts and ideas without experience and emotions like a parent's without children. Right. So there's biological children and the spiritual children. And that's what this Mimer is focused on, that the spiritual children are born. 
from this type of connection. Would you say that the wife had to physically remove him versus just express what she wanted verbally because experience is knowing the only way to get to the place of a relationship. Would you say that the wife had to physically remove him versus just express what she wanted verbally because experience is knowing. The only way to get to the place of a relationship without condition is to live it. Sometimes really wise, someone really wise recently said to me, you become what you do. I feel like it relates so much to what you taught. That's a, that's a deep observation. She couldn't just say to him, you know, you're the most precious thing, let's not go. Like, she could have just said it to him, right? She could have taken a little wine or given him a little wine and then say to him, you know, my dear husband, you're the most precious thing in the world. But she had to really, you know, she brought it out through experience. It's very vivid, you know, when she, when he tells her, take whatever you want, take the most expensive thing in this house, most precious thing in the house, and she physically has him removed when he's sleeping. And he's not conscious when this happens. I think that's also very important. If he was conscious and she said to him, come to my house, what would he say? Oh, leave me alone. We're getting divorced. Why should I come to your parents' house? He was unconscious. Meaning she had to go into a deeper place within himself. <laughs> like It's almost like she didn't fool him, but she outsmarted him. <laughs> she outsmarted him. She went over the consciousness. You know, Pesach, she skipped over. She leaped over the predictable. Like, she didn't say, let's go home, let's take a walk, let's go on a vacation. No, no, she got him drunk, she had him to sleep. I don't know if you should try this at home. But, uh, unless Yavshem Ben Yechai advises you, but the point is very powerful. She needs to help him get beyond himself. Which, by the way, if you ever heard my classes on Rus, this is a major theme, that all of the seeds of redemption come into the world when the husband is not conscious. I have a series on Rus, right? We did it before Shavuos a few years ago. So I think class two, three, four, five, a bunch of classes there is on this theme. For example, Light is asleep. He's drunk and asleep when his daughters cohabit with him. And from that comes the seed of Moyav, who is the great-great-grandfather of Rus, who is the great-grandmother of David, who is the grandfather of Mashiach. Light is asleep. He can't be awake. His daughters are awake. He's drunk and asleep like this guy. Okay? It goes much, it goes further. Yehuda is also asleep during the relationship. He knows he's in a relationship, but he doesn't know who it is. He's not conscious. He doesn't know that it's Tamar. He thinks it's a stranger. And that's the seed that produces parrots, who is the great-great-great-grandfather of Bayas. Oyved, Yishai, David, Mashiach. Go to Rus, uh, 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 Yaakov, Rachel <laughs> Yaakov knows he's in a relationship. He thinks it's Rachel. He's not conscious. It's really Leah. That will produce the Shvatim. If you go to Boyaz and Rus, it's the middle of the night. And Boyaz is again, he's not conscious. He's caught off guard. Rus shows up in the middle of the night. So he knows who it is, and he ultimately chooses to marry her the next day. 
but it begins by surprise. He can't initiate it. The same thing happened with Yishai. I, I went through the whole history of it. I'm not going to go through the whole history now, but the same thing happened with Yishai, the father of David, before David was born. He did not know he was with his wife. She knew, but he did not know. What's going on there? Why are all the men sleeping? Good question, right? And the answer is that sometimes the deepest seeds of redemption cannot happen in your conscious self. (laughs) Your consciousness can't initiate it. It's too big. It's true about men. It's also true about women. Women, because of their capacity for bitl, malchus, can transcend themselves in a deeper, easier way. So malchus can be awake when Mashiach is being born. Zo can't. So they have to be, they have to be non-conscious. This guy was a good guy. But when he was asleep, she can help him become who he really is. Now this doesn't mean that the whole responsibility is on the wife. <laughs> there has to be a team here, you know? Obviously. But she has a power to bring this out. This is Malchus. The husband gives, gives a lot of stuff, but what the woman gives back is she brings out the essence. That's why the Medrash says, Maisa Be'isha Achas. It's a story about a woman. It doesn't say a story about a couple. She's the heroine of the story. And she doesn't just say it to him because that's not going to do it. She lives it. That's what you're saying. She lives it. She experiences it. It's, it's literally with physical props. She schleps him to the house. And that makes it happen. It's like very vivid. I think it also shocks them. It's like, what am I doing here? Oh, you said I should take the most precious thing. Words can't do that trick, you know. Words are limited. Very good observation. What if there's abuse? Okay, listen. If there's abuse or there's personality disorder or there's terrible trauma or there's terrible mental illness and a person is not taking accountability for it, and they're blaming their husband or their wife for their own personality disorder or their own trauma or their own molestation, so then you can't get to this space. There has to be accountability and honesty and transparency and trust. You can't skip. I'm going to be altruistic, and I'll be a shmata for life, and I'll be one with you. I'm not one with you. I'm a shmata for you. We're not talking here somebody who's treating her spouse like a shmata, or her spouse like a shmata, God forbid. This is something that comes from loyalty, from dedication, from trust. This couple had a good marriage, I assume. They didn't have a bad marriage. You could see they had a good marriage. Now they had a good marriage, they had a special marriage. But they needed help bringing it to the next level. Next question. Are you saying that it's always the responsibility of the wife to initiate this? No, I don't think he's saying it's always the responsibility of the wife to initiate it. I think he's saying that very often the woman has a power to bring out from her husband things that are much deeper inside of himself. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Anybody who has a good marriage will tell this to you, every man and every wife. Did you hear my class on uh, on uh, the end of Yuma, why the kind God let to be married on Yom Kippur? Anybody heard that class? Last Sunday I gave two classes. It was a hadron of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Masech Yuma, why the Kayin Gadol on Yom Kippur had to be married, and why, and why Rabbi Yossi, and why Rabbi Yossi said that he never called his wife his wife, but his wife my home. You heard the class, Rabbi Tzindini. You heard the class. You didn't. It's kedai to hear that class because it supplements this idea. It was two classes last Sunday. If you go to recent classes on the yeshiva.net, 
You'll find why I never called my wife my wife, I called my wife my home. So yeah, the wife brings out deep stuff, but this is always about, this can only work with partnership. <laughs> if you tell God, I don't want anything but you, when God says, I have a lot of interests outside of you, it's not. Uh... The reason the Alter Rebbe could say, I don't want anything but you, is because he experienced that from Hashem. That Hashem said, after everything, I don't want anything but you. In other words, the most important, the most precious thing to me is you, just you. So now I could say the most precious thing to me is you. You explained before why he had to fall asleep. Is this because of the male ego? I don't like to bash males. I don't like to bash females. Males have egos, and I'm going to tell you a little secret. Females also have egos. I know I'm speaking to very many righteous women here. But females have egos, maybe different types of egos sometimes, but everybody has egos. And you, you all know that egos are connected to insecurities <laughs> and traumas, and I think women also have some insecurities and traumas. And men have insecurities and traumas. So I think we all have egos. But the point is that there is something about a woman, femininity, it's known as malchus. Malchus is bittel. Bittel is the ability to be able to transcend yourself in a very profound way, is a powerfully feminine quality. What does this mean practically? How can I practically reach this level? Both with my spouse and with Hashem. When it feels not real, how can I practically appreciate my spouse for who he is when practically there are things that annoy me, they upset me, they get in the way. <laughs> that's a quest. That's a good question. That's a good question. And I think this is not something you have to judge, and you can't force this on a marriage. Yes, there are things about our spouses that can annoy us and get us upset and get us angry. My husband does this, my wife does this, my husband says this, my wife says this. There's issues that are already many years going on. There's things maybe about his nature, his disposition, his character, his behavior, his mannerisms, his family, his own stuff. And we have to acknowledge within ourselves as well all these things, you know. And I don't think we should judge it. These are things that every couple has to talk about in a respectful way and work out. How am I triggering you? How are you triggering me? What can I do to make you feel better? What can you do to make me feel better? You know, What is it that you need from me? What is it that I need from you? We have to work through these stages. You don't jump into this mimer without really being self-aware and very honest. This is very, very intense. If you skip the basic steps of accountability and honest communication you're going to delude yourself and just get more frustrated. These, this is an organic relationship that emerges. It just emerges. Either it emerges, like in this case, spontaneously when they were about to get divorced and the nuclear love just came out in full fury, 
or it emerges organically over time. But these are things that emerge. You don't force them. Okay, now we're one, and there's nothing in the world that's more precious than you or me. You know what's going to happen the next minute? You're burning mad at me. <laughs> Same is true with God. We go through, this is important what I'm saying, we have to go through the ordinary processes of accountability, of self-reflection, of spending time with each other, of communicating, of understanding what's bothering me about you, what's bothering you about me talking about it respectfully instead of blaming the other and accusing the other. As I always say in my workshops, don't tell your wife or your husband, you know, you're such a this for doing this. Rather, talk about your feelings. When you said this, this is the feeling that I experienced. This is what what I'm going through. This is what I'm experiencing. So people can understand each other and not become defensive. It's also never about being right, you're right, she's wrong, he's right, you're wrong, you're both wrong, you're both right. It's really just about understanding perspectives and then learning how to see each other's perspective with respect and then what to do practically. So these are all critical tools to be able to build a marriage of trust and loyalty. But then, then, if we really work on ourselves and we have to work through those traumas, We have to work through those insecurities. We have to work through those triggers. Do not expect this relationship if you did not work through all your triggers. You're going to be lying to yourself, and you'll be doing an injustice to you, and an equal injustice to your spouse, because your expectations are completely non-realistic, and you're really angry at him. And here's the deal. Whenever religion becomes a crutch not to deal with my anger and my repressed emotions, it's going to come back to bite me. So I have to deal with that. And in that and through that, we develop a very deep awareness. And it's really a very deep awareness of just a connection that's non-conditional. When the couple came first, their love for each other was conditional. It was goal-oriented. And if the marriage is not producing a child... There was no point to it. As they were about to part, they discovered how deeply they loved each other. And they began to celebrate the intrinsic value of love. That's a very powerful awareness. You can't force it on a couple. And you can't minimize the first level. It's also very powerful. You know, a Jew who serves God... Because he wants Elam Haba. <laughs> okay. A lot of wonderful people who don't sin because of that and do wonderful mitzvahs. And you got to salute it. Do we want a much deeper relationship? Yes. But you can't force it on yourself because it's not real. This, this must be very authentic. It's very deep. It's very, very real. And what it looks like practically with God... It's that life doesn't have to look a certain way. There's no goal of, if I do this, I'm going to get this. And if I do this, I'm going to get this. And I do this, my son will be this. My daughter will be like this. I like making deals and checklists. I'm your ambassador in this world. Here we go. I'm an ambassador of love, light, hope, healing, wisdom, authenticity, redemption. I'm your ambassador. We travel together. (laughs) God, let's fasten our seatbelt. You wake up in the morning, let's fasten our seatbelt. We're going to have an unbelievable journey. Whatever the world brings to me that day, we're going to bring an infinite light into that space. That's what it looks like. 
So if my child is going through something, instead of me becoming a victim, what what did I do wrong? And how can I fix it now in order to get this and this result? Of course, I want to know what I did wrong. And of course, I want to fix things. And of course, I would love a certain expert. I would love a certain result. It would mean a lot to me. But where is my mental space focused on? Where am I living? I'm living in what is my mission right now? What is my calling right now? What is my, what is my shlichus right now? as a reflection of Hashem in this world. That's it. And they say, but I want nachas. But I want my family to look like this. But I want to be known to be this. But I want... I got it. But in a much deeper state of consciousness, if you could peel away everything, 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 and after a lot of tears and grief. By the way, you have to grieve a life in which it was all about expectations. Because that's powerful. After that, I can reach a deeper space. I hope I'm making myself clear. You have to grieve a life that was all about expectations, because that's how I grew up, maybe. My life is about expectations, and these expectations are not met. I have to grieve, and that's fine. And then, in that pain, I'm going to reach a space where I'm going to say, but you know what? I have you. And that means everything. It's hard to talk about this. <laughs> Which I tell you, it's hard to talk about this. I don't understand. If we're not desiring anything besides Hashem, why do we ask for anything in our prayers? Good question. Because Hashem needs the because Hashem needs these things. I ask for health and I ask for parnasa and I ask for wisdom. And I ask for a healthy family, and I ask for money, and I ask for whatever I'm asking for. Because God wants to be down here with me in this world, and I want to be his ambassador. And this is God's need. I didn't choose to be created, by the way. I didn't choose to be a man. I didn't choose to be Jewish. I didn't choose to be Y.Y. Jacobson. I didn't choose any of this. I didn't choose my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters, my community, my environment. I chose nothing. So I didn't need anything. I wasn't even born. God needed me. God needed you. He chose it. And he needs you to live life to the fullest and fulfill your mission together in this world. So that's what you pray for. It's a different type of prayer. The Maggot of Mizrich said this. You're praying for God's needs. Your physical needs are God's needs. If you need a person to help you in the house, that the house should be clean, that's not a selfish need. From this perspective, it's a need of the marriage. So that your husband, the husband and the wife together can have an amazing home. So that God can have an amazing home in this world. I need money, I need health, I need parnasa, I need a good home, whatever it is. So it's a different type of prayer. How do you get to these places? This is a very powerful class. I think it's more practical than most people imagine. It takes two to become something healthy. It takes two to become something healthy and real, but it only takes one to initiate this way of being in a healthy relationship. Kamayim hapanim lapanim. The face you reflect in the water will come back to you. 
total acceptance of your own self is a good place to start. That was a very intelligent statement. Yeah, I think I agree. Yes, you need two to become something healthy and to become one. You often need one to initiate and help the other one down the road, of course, if they're willing and they're not resisting. And uh, the energy we put out there comes back to us. That's a fact. Again, unless the person is suffering from something terrible, the energy you bring in comes back to you. That's a fact. And you have to really accept your own self, really, in a very powerful way, because if not, you're busy blaming the other person and projecting on the other person. So you really, really have to accept your own place, and then you can really accept the other. And it's true with God also. You really have to accept yourself to accept God. (laughs) If you're not comfortable with it, if you hate yourself, then you want God to fix it, and now you're angry at Him, just like you're angry at your husband, you know, for my problems, and accept yourself, and then you can accept me. And then we can have a good time together. Very good. Next question. I was taught that we do choose our parents, and that we as a soul, before being born, agree to our life. How does that fit in with what you just said? And you should ask, and what I said last week, remember what I said last week? Yeah, God consulted my soul, but it was his idea. It wasn't my idea. (laughs) Of course, he consults me, but it was his idea. I didn't plan this whole thing. I didn't plan creation. The Medrash says he did consult souls before he created the world, but it was his idea. So this is his need. When you can reach that place, when I could reach a place in life where I have no needs... There's one need I have, and that is to fulfill God's needs. You're a free person. You're a free person. To reach that space is not so simple. When I can reach that space, I have no needs. God has needs. (laughs) Or better, God has desires. God has a love. God has a passion. Because I don't know if the word need is so appropriate. But God has needs. God has a desire. And my need is to give him his need. I I don't have needs. I didn't create this mess called life. I didn't. I'm sorry to say. I'm responsible for a lot, but not for this. He created it. And somehow my life here and your life here and our life here is a fulfillment of this awesome grand need. Okay, great. But I'm a free person. I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck in expectation. I'm free to fulfill my mission and bring light. And that's what he means. I have no other desire. I have nothing else. I'm not stuck to it. I'm not stuck. And when you do that, then you you become a channel for miracles. Because I'm not stuck in any situation. I'm not attached to anything. No expectation drives me crazy that it's not happening. What are my needs here? I decided this whole thing. People think they have all these needs. Why? You, you didn't need to create. You didn't need to be here. God chose you, so it's his need. Okay. So be here for him to do what he wants you to do. Sounds simple, right? It's really simple, <laughs> by the way. I don't mean to say that I'm always in that space. I'm not. But it's really simple. 
It's really the simplest way to live. And that's Mashiach. That's what it means to live in Geula. To live in Geula means that I'm liberated. There's nothing stopping me. There's nothing I'm scared of. The Baal father told him, don't be scared of anybody but God. Don't be scared of yourself. Don't be scared of anybody. You're not attached to anything. You're good. You're a free person. Nobody has control over you. Even your own brains can't tell you what you need, what you don't need, what's good, what's bad, it's horrible, my husband, my wife, my kids, my family, my job, my work, my money, the school. I'm good. I'm an ambassador of God. God, now I gotta bring in light to these, this place. I'm here. He nanny. It's his need. I love it. Why be anxious? Why worry? That's why he says, can't cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Yeah, you don't have to be anxious. It's, it's his concern. Just do what you have to do. In other words, I don't need anything in the world. I have one need. I have one desire. You. And that's the best thing. And you know what happens? Your children become healthy. <laughs> Your children become blessed. Your house becomes blessed automatically. Because you're a channel of infinity. There's no ego. You understand? There's no frustrated mother. There's no angry father. There's no impulsive, traumatized parent. They're channels for infinity. And when you're a channel of infinity, there's no blockages. All the blockages melt away. And light fills up your home. So that's what Alter Rebbe says. When you come to that space, miracles happen. Do I say, oh, I want miracles to happen, so I'm going to go there. <laughs> it's usually not how it works. When I go into that space, everything opens up. So I bless all of you and myself and all of us and all of our people and the whole world. We should be able to enter into that space, into that consciousness of Gula, where we become real channels of infinity, where my eye becomes aligned with the divine eye. And therefore my eye can become aligned with my spouse's eye. And we can really become one without the need to prove ourselves to each other, to hide, to run, to prove a point, where we become open, transparent channels. Yes, somebody says, they say, let go and let God in. It's so, so hard. Yeah, I understand. It is hard. But forgive me if I say it's hard for me too. But it's also easy. <laughs> Meaning, it's hard because there's so many thoughts that drive us crazy. But it's really the most natural way of being. So it's, also, it's hard, but it's also easy. Did you ever see my class... You could watch it. It's called, Does Judaism Believe in Self-Love? You ever saw that class? It was to women a few months ago. Does Judaism Believe in Self-Love? It was a mimer from the Alter Rebbe, from the same book. We learned it. Look it up on the yeshiva.net. You can put in self-love and search. It will help you, I think, also process a lot of this information. Okay. We could sit on this for another couple of years and decades. But uh, I think uh, we have what to think about. I feel so lucky 
And it's a beautiful life when we can join your classes. Thank you. That means a lot. And uh, may we all be channels for the infinite light and infinite love and infinite wisdom and the merit of Reb Shimon ben Yechai who revealed all this because he was the one who revealed Pnei Yisra the core of Torah to the world. That's the connection to Reb Shimon ben Yechai. In other words, not just a Judaism that's based on incentives and rewards, but a Judaism that is about core relationship with the essence. He revealed it. He was the first one to begin revealing it in a systematic way. So Lag Ba'aymer is the day of his celebration of his Simcha, which is this Simcha of this couple. The day of Nagila of Nismachabach, that's Lag Ba'aymer. That's why it's such a Simcha. Why is everybody happy like Baimer? It could be unconsciously, but it's the, it's the, I'm giving my husband the fragrant wine and the juicy pomegranates. That happens very much on Lag Baimer. So this, this is the energy that Roshim Ben Yechai brought out in this couple and he brought out in the Jewish people and he gave to the Jewish people until this very day as a preparation for the ultimate moment of oneness. He writes in the Zoya that Moshe told him that with your book, with your Sefer, with your Sefer, the Jews will leave exile with compassion, because this is what creates the consciousness of absolute oneness without any ulterior motive. May we experience it and see it speedily. Take it from Yad Mamash. Amen. Have a wonderful Gut Yom Tif, a wonderful Lag Ba'aymer. In the meantime, I wish you a wonderful, inspiring, meaningful, uplifting day of clarity and of oneness. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.